Welcome to the Housewife of Horrors podcast. And welcome back. It's been a couple of weeks because we have switched over to a bi-weekly format. So every other Wednesday, we will be bringing you stories of true crime, unsolved mysteries, and anything horror you want to talk about. Uh, this week is a listener request. Uh, it comes from Margaret. Thank you for your awesome suggestion. Um, but first, before we get into that, I'd like to introduce my, other, my ever-faithful companion, Evil, from 3B Video. Say hello, Evil. Ayo! All right, so um, without further ado, uh, this case is, uh, I think she threw me a curveball on purpose knowing what this was going to be, but when she gave me the name, it was just one killer. Turns out this killer comes from a family of killers and criminals. So this, the Blair family has gone on to be a very notorious crime family in Kansas City. Mm. And, uh, man, without further ado, so she said, hey, can you do the case on Terry Blair? Um, She is kind of personally connected to this case, not to Terry Blair, but one of the relatives. Her aunt was one of the people that was unfortunately killed by one of the Blair family members. So I guess she wanted me to kind of see what I could make of all of this and what a rabbit hole that was. Uh, I always like to talk about the onion, how you just keep getting into them layers and getting into the layers. (sighs) Yeah, this was nothing but layers all the way down. So without further ado, I've said that (laughs) twice now. Um, Twice now. We've been watching a lot of L.A. Beast. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, okay. Uh, She wanted me to do the case of Terry Blair, but we're going to get into him last. We're going to do this family of... um, He's the last line of murdering succession. Right. And I did take a tally. I can't find my tally sheet where it is now. (laughs) Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I took a running tally of how many people this family has killed. Um (laughs) <laughs> I, I unfortunately can't find that paper, damn it. <laughs> I'm serious. I feel like Bob Euchre in Major League over here trying to get my shit together. You can't say goddamn on the air. <laughs> oh, hell. Nobody's listening anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, so we'll start off with... Let me click over to my notes. We're going to start off with Terry's mom. Terry's mom... Let's get into this. Her name was Janice Blair. And um, I kind of took this from a couple different sources. One of these things I really couldn't confirm or deny. I just kind of kept reading about it, but there was really no more details besides what I say. So according to court records, she suffered from mental illness. It's like, show me somebody who doesn't suffer from mental illness and also show you somebody who's full of shit. But uh, she and she also had just a ninth grade education. So in August of 1978, she and Terry Blair was like 17 at the time. And he pretty much ran out the door when he heard gunshots in front of his house and witnessed this whole ordeal going down. Uh, He um, 
Janice shot and killed her common-law husband, Elton Gray. Uh, she did plead guilty to second-degree second murder, but only received five years of probation and was ordered to receive psychi psychiatric care due to mental illness. <laughs> she was just cleaning the cleaning the knife and it went off. Right. Oh, no, it's like Sharon <laughs> Kenny. Oh, I let my two-and-a-half-year-old play with a gun. Look, Daddy, look, pow! So, no, um, uh, yeah, so she, she did her five years. I guess she did her court-ordered psychiatric care. I'm not 100% sure on that. I couldn't find, like, a follow-up. They didn't rule her wackety-schmackety? Well, then, then I kept reading about, um, this thing that she did in 1989 and I just kept reading about it but I couldn't find any like names or any corroboration to back this up but I mean if I read about it in three sources I don't want to assume that it's true but we'll put this in here anyway but it said uh, in 1989 Janice killed her drug dealer boyfriend and then my notes here, I actually said, I couldn't find much detail except for uh, except the quotes from three articles, but I did find three separate articles talking about the 89 murder of the drug-dealing boyfriend. So, um, yeah, in, uh, there's a 2013 article from Channel 9 that talk about um, the fifth person to be convicted in this family. We'll get into him later. But uh, they mentioned the 1989 conviction. Uh, she was convicted once for killing her drug-dealing boyfriend, but they didn't say uh, any if she was she was convicted. So obviously she was found guilty. But what her judgment was, or if she did any time in the can, or what the hell happened after she killed the drug-dealing boyfriend. So she's up to killing at least two people at this point. But yeah, I couldn't really find anything beyond just a couple mentions of the second murder is more of a public service well at least he's he's not peddling drugs anymore so yeah not as harsh citizens so um when i googled janice billy blair i get an obituary for a janice blair 63 years old of raytown that passed away in 2005 i'm going uh, once again i couldn't confirm nor deny that this is the same janice so uh, I went to find a grave, and uh, one um, her obituary. Sorry, I got a little confused by my notes, but I'm going to assume that uh, after a multitude of name variation searches, that um, that's probably the same Janice. So Janice passed away in 2005. Um, I don't know what she was doing at the time of her death like if she was you know living in a private residence or if she was in prison or you know what i don't know eating a stack of pancakes so they don't really get like even through all my research on all of these people there's just some things where they don't kind of fill in the gaps they it's just kind of she was convicted okay you know <laughs> moving on right and there, it's gonna be like this for some things through here me I like a hundred percent of my answers like I want to know beginning middle end I'm like the weather channel I like constant updates so moving on um, moving on to Terry's brother his name was Walter Blair jr. 
<laughs> Walt Blair. <laughs> right. So uh, in 1978, six months after Janice killed her common-in-law husband, Walter was charged in the death of a 16-year-old boy named Sandy L. Shannon. He died from being shot with a shotgun, and his body was just left to die in a snowbank. He was charged with capital murder, so he was getting ready to get the death penalty in 1978, which means he would have been killed in probably the year 2000. But um, <laughs> the murder charges were dropped after the witness refused to testify. And the witness refusing to testify will be kind of a theme with this family. Mm. Yes. So, as Bob well dies. as no, as well as murder, they are just really good at intimidation. There's just there's a lot of people in this family. He Terry Blair is um, the fourth oldest of ten siblings. <laughs> I was going to bring that up later, but I feel that that's paramount information to let you know how big this family is. Blair's so, as far as the eye could see. Well, then. Okay, so um, in on April 2nd, 1979, a guy named Larry Jackson uh, raped and murdered Catherine Jo Allen at her apartment. He kidnaps her from there. Um, anyway, from jail, Jackson makes numerous attempts to... Uh, to intimidate Catherine from testifying against him. I'm talking he was calling from the prison four or five times a day kind of a thing to threaten her on a prison line, which, once again, that's all shocking because it's like, you know, those are monitored lines. I don't know if they were monitored lines back in 1979, but I'd like to think they were something. Maybe so, it's because of this, because they're, they're now monitored because of uh, Mr. Jackson. Well, and you're probably wondering, Larry Jackson, I thought we were talking about Walter Blair. So this Larry Jackson incident plays into Walter Blair, which we will get to. Uh, there, a, a twist of fate will bring these two heinous people together. So uh, anyway, he's like calling her house numerous times a day and uh, to keep her from testifying obviously that wasn't working so he's like asking around the prison asking different people hey do you know somebody or you yourself when you get out if you're getting out soon would i'll give you like two grand to take care of this chick so um uh he started asking around and the quote is he was asking someone to quote keep miss allen from appearing in court Jackson was then told by numerous inmates about Walter Blair Jr., who was in the same jail as Jackson. So, like, a couple of months later, in July of 1979, Jackson meets with Walter, and in this time, he offered to pay Walter two grand to keep Catherine from testifying, preferably by putting a bomb in her apartment. Yes, that was in, like, I'm reading all this. I believe I got that from court documents. I got a lot of information from court documents and, of course, local papers. I hope Walt was just constructing, like, the fucking stick, like, like nine sticks of dynamite around a fucking alarm clock thing. Okay, so you're probably wondering where Larry Jackson's going to get two grand while he's sitting in the can, right? So Jackson's brother was a, uh, about to get a settlement from a car accident. 
I think he called J.G. Wentworth because it was his money and he needed it now. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, he got an, a settlement from a car accident and they said that he said that the family would pay him from that car settlement. So July 16, 1979 rolls around. Walter is on release on bond and Jackson then upped the offer to six grand. Walter then meets with the Jackson family and got Catherine's address, phone number, and what kind of car she drove. Like, he got all the details here. <laughs> um, so, of course, he goes into stalking mode. He's watching her from afar kind of a thing to get some patterns down. So, in August of 1979, three days before Catherine was set to testify against Jackson, 18-year-old Walter confesses to shooting the Casey Art Institute student Catherine Jo Allen. He hit her in the head with a brick multiple times and then shot her in the head and chest only after she begged for her life. He did put in there that she begged for her life and he still did it anyway. The fuck happened to the bomb? Um, that's just what a suggestion he wanted. He didn't go with the bomb. He obviously went with a brick and a gun. Like some 18-year-old dipshit's going to want to make a bomb and plus in a the bomb. 70s. I don't know, man. If I would, I'm putting myself in this. I'm Jackson. I want her dead. I don't want to blow up a whole apartment building just to get the job done. I mean, <laughs> it just seems a little overkill for me. But once again, I'm not a psycho most of the time anyway he was arrested a few days later uh fast forward all the way to Ju uh, july 21st 1993 walter was executed for killing katherine joe allen in a murder for hire plot was he killed by bomb no he was killed by lethal injection at the age of 32 damn oh uh side note on this i did some looking and it appears that Larry Jackson was never tried for the rape or murder of Catherine Jo Allen. That was my friend's aunt. She, you know, had the, and the thing that got him convicted was when he was at the apartment. I totally forgot to add this in here. It's not in my notes, but I just remembered. She said it was when he was at the apartment, he ended up getting some cat hair on him. That cat hair helped seal the conviction that he was at her apartment and kidnapped her and killed her. Mm. Cat hair. That'll do it. Every time. And you can't get rid of it. It's like glitter. You just, you, you think you've gotten rid of it. You've just moved it to another location. That's it. This is when you think you're out. It pulls you back in. All right. So now we're going to skip to Terry Blair's other brother, Daniel. Uh, he didn't, he's not the worst one of these he's probably like the least worst of this group um so in 1999 he pled guilty to and i quote helping someone possess 50 grams or more of cocaine with intent to sell it daniel and another man was dealing crack out of a home of another man's mother's house that was located and this is important within 1000 feet of an elementary school and in the state of Missouri, or maybe just Kansas City area, 
if you commit a crime in a school zone, it is supposed to be three times the penalty. Dun, dun, dun. Right. So if you're, like, speeding through a school zone during school hours, dude, get a lawyer. Uh, anyway, he received eight years and four months in a high-security federal prison in Colorado. Um, I couldn't find if he was released in 2008, because that would have put him 2008, 2009, or any time before. There wasn't much info to be found, even though uh, I did different name searches. I did Dan, Daniel, Danny. Hmm. I, I did it all. <laughs> Dano, Dan the man. It was mentioned, however that in the article there was a past history of assault, weapons, stealing, robbery, disturbing the peace, drugs, and obstructing an officer. So he did have somewhat of a history before the uh, cocaine possession and intent to distribute. Any mopery charges? Uh, No, I don't think he was really into flashing blind people. I mean, it's kind of a futile crime. He wanted to spend his efforts on real good shit. Hmm. That's up for debate. So, um, I, I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't really find much about that. I guess I could have looked at some Mo Case Net, but you know how many Daniel Blairs there are in the state of Missouri? Ooh. Thankfully, no, I don't. All right, so that brother didn't kill anybody, but now we're back into uh, the murders here. So now we're going to talk about Terry's older brother. Clifford Miller. He was born in 1959. What goofy ass. Clifford Walton Daniel. I mean, I don't know. They're just kind of like Daniel and Walter, just kind of run-of-the-mill names. Clifford. They all just seem like country bumpkins. I hear Clifford, and I think of the big red dog, so I wouldn't have been able to name my kid Clifford. I just think of that stupid Martin Short movie. But I don't think they had Clifford but the Big Red Dog in 1959, so I'm glad I kind of wrote down that he was born in 1959 because it's like, what am I going to do with this chunk of information? Besides say, he was born in 1959 and then skipped to 1992 when his rap sheet kind of begins. Um, so anyway, now we're going to skip to June 5th, 1992. Uh, Clifford abducted a woman from a bar. He shot her in the arm before driving her to an abandoned house and they list the addresses 2520 Olive Street which I went and looked on GPS and Instant Street View and it is now just a vacant lot it's a grassy plot of land so but he took her to this abandoned house where he raped her multiple times and beat her till she was unconscious she suffered being shot, a fractured skull, a broken jaw, and cheekbones, and she was hospitalized recovering for two whole months. Um, so, of course, after this, she did not leave the house for nearly a year. Um, and in May of 1993, in a weird turn of events, the woman that survived her attack she's finally you know it's been almost a year i'm gonna go out and have a little fun she went out in public for the first time and she was at a bar in the 18th and vine area when she sees clifford he approaches her and grabs her uh, by the arm and says and i quote it's been a long time of course the victim is with a friend she sees all this shit going down calls the cops bam he's fucking arrested 
He was sentenced to two life sentences and 240 years for kidnapping and forcible sodomy. (laughs) Fuck off, Cliff. So, okay, he didn't kill anybody either. I totally called him a murderer before this started. He didn't kill anybody, but... (laughs) Whoops. Yeah, I feel like when he beat her till she was unconscious, um, I feel like he might have thought she was dead, left her for dead. Oh, she's going to die soon. So... Yeah. Fuck Cliff. <laughs> right. I feel like he it was his intent to kill her. Um yeah, <laughs> crazy shit. All right. So now we uh we're going to take a little turn here. We've been talking about all these brothers. Now we're going to we're actually going to bring in Terry's sister. Her name is Warnetta Blair. And also, uh, actually, it's uh, she gets married and has a different name, so she goes by uh, White for a while, Uh, Warnetta White. And there's going to be some names now approaching that I hope I'm pronouncing this name right. I really (laughs) do. No, (laughs) Um, no, I've never seen this as a name before, so my apologies for slaughtering it if I do. So, Warnetta, in September of 1980, James Bell was found in his apartment and he was stabbed 30 times. Warnetta and her husband, Nola, N-O-I-L-A, Nola, Nola White III, was charged with the murder of James Bell. She offered to testify against Nola Uh, to have her charges dropped, but Missouri law states spouses cannot testify against each other. So, of course, this all kind of goes down over the proceedings of his trial and stuff. So, a few years down the road, not a few, like four, 1983-1984, she totally files for divorce. Then she becomes pregnant. We'll get into that, too. Uh, Nola has pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. Uh, His motive was that um, Bell had some life insurance and he wanted to collect on that money. It didn't say that he was a a beneficiary or a benefactor on any life insurance policy, so I think maybe he was... He just thought it was up for grabs. (laughs) I don't know if he thought it was up for grabs or if he was going to, you know, extort or intimidate a family member that was inheriting James's Bell's money, you know, so he just wanted to cash in on his life insurance. That's what he said. Um... So that child that she became pregnant with, um, I know all of this information because I did some digging and I found an obituary. Warnetta had a little girl named Shauna. It's actually pronounced S-H-N-A. So... Shana. Shana. Shana-na-na. I'm going to say um, just... Shana. Okay. So she had a little girl. Uh, when Googling Warnetta Blair, I located the obituary for a three-year-old. Uh, and it was obviously her daughter because there's lots of family name uh, people that were, you know, and she died in 87. She was three, so she was born in 84. Just It all adds up that that little girl that she became pregnant with did pass away at the age of three. 
It does not say how, and I did not find out how. Um, hmm. I chose to kind of leave that stone unturned. I don't know if the answers are out there. I'm sure they probably are somewhere, but I... Got enough stuff to do. Right, up. there's enough stuff here that it's like I don't even want to entertain the idea if they killed this three-year-old. Um, okay, so fast forward past that a couple more years. December of 1989, Warnetta is seeing a drug dealer named Pablo Gomez. After a fight in which he threatened to stop giving her crack cocaine. <laughs> that's, that's, that's serious right there. He did. He was like, no more crack cocaine for you, woman. Uh, no more crack for you. <laughs> uh, so, Warnetta and a male friend bound and gagged Pablo, stole his money and drugs, and then went to a neighbor's apartment to smoke crack for the rest of the night. <laughs> Uh, so, and he suffocated to death from the gag being so large, it covered his nose and mouth. Uh, when they were arrested, she said that she didn't mean to kill him. She just wanted to rob him. That's crack addict mistakes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So <laughs> see, she said she just wanted to rob him, but then I found this article, uh, December 15th, 1989, Kansas city star article titled, woman charged in Casey murders. Uh, and it says, quote, Gomez's body was found wrapped in a blanket on a bed in his apartment. His head had been covered with a pillowcase and his hands were bound with a belt and a sponge had been stuffed into his mouth. I'm sorry, but you wrap this dude in a fucking blanket, you put shit in his mouth and cover his head with a pillowcase, that sounds like deadly intent. That doesn't sound like, oops, I just wanted to rob him. If I want no, to rob that, somebody, no, I'm going to get you, like, tie you up. That sounds like, yeah, you could say that under normal people's mindset, but when a crack addict's, like, whole plan is just subdue him so we can go across the street and do some crack. Touche. Touche. So in 1990, she pled guilty and was sentenced to 10 years. That's it? Yeah, she was released in December of 1999. So um, along with my research, it appears from a specific name Google search that Warnetta is currently in her mid-60s and still lives in the Kansas City area. So I couldn't find anything on her beyond that, so I'm just guessing she did her 10 years and then she just went on living a regular life. Cracking it up. Well, I'm sure 10 years in the can, she probably sobered up a bit. I know you can get drugs on the inside, but I don't know. Maybe she didn't know those people right away, so she had to sober up. Who knows? She mm. knows. That's who. I don't know if she knows. All right. So we get into one of the, besides Terry, this is... Uh, shit, I don't know if he's m more worse than Terry or what, but now we're getting... Heavy hitter side of the family. Yes, we are getting to Terry's nephew, Diamond Blair. Diamond. Diamond. Diamond was born in 1975. Has anybody with that name gone on to do anything worthwhile? It's either, it's, it just seems like that's just a cursed name, not a name. 
Right. Is there any comment that on any of the posts for the podcast? If you know anyone that named Diamond and is successful. Yeah, let us know and we'll totally retract that statement. So um, when I was reading just the different articles about him, I came across this. Is a dude named Diamond? Yes, this is a dude. This is, that's even, that's weird. Okay, so <laughs> I found this quote in an, actually in the court documents and in an article uh, described by a Jackson County assistant prosecutor as a, quote, a one-man crime wave. <laughs> this is how they describe <laughs> Diamond Blair. My name is Diamond. I am one-man crime wave. Okay, so um, when looking through a lot of these articles, sometimes they have slightly different dates or maybe a detail is hazy. So my years, I'm kind of basing these years off of his age of what they say he, how old he was when he committed this crime. So anyway, starting in 1980, at the age of six, he was first arrested for stealing. <laughs> <laughs> is this Dax Shepard's character from Let's Go to Prison? Like he's stealing like the publisher's clearinghouse check? Trying to cash that big old check? Opening fire on a mailbox? <laughs> uh, no. It was just for stealing at this time. Um, six. Six. And uh, that has been confirmed by court documents and numerous articles. You had to bring court documents in on a six-year-old for theft. Uh, it was just, it was court documents for later things, ah. but it was just, they stated his history in the court documents. His car stereos. Right. Okay. So now <laughs> we're ages 12 to 15. This puts us 1987, 1990. He went to juvenile court for assault, grand theft auto, and escaping from McCune School for Boys. Okay. I have a little discrepancy about this. They talk about McCune School for Boys. That is um, now a place that is no longer utilized as a detention facility. And I don't call it a school for boys. I call it a detention facility because um, I have photographed this on two occasions. And there is razor wires and locking cells. And well, that's why they say you don't escape from school. You escape from a prison. Right. Um, McCune was started in like 1909 uh, by Judge McCune, who was a judge in Jackson County at the time. And he started the farm for boys who he felt were just, you know, not bad enough for prison, but still kind of needed some discipline and learn a lesson. So they went to this farm to work and, you know, kind of <laughs> diversion sort of stuff. Don't sound ominous. Where's Diamond? Oh, he's up on living on a farm now. No, it, it over the years, it went from being a farm to a juvenile detention facility. They do educate you there. You do go to school and stuff while you are in their care because it was for boys ages like 13 to 17 um, when it became a detention facility. Um, yeah, it it is not a school for boys. It is a juvenile detention facility for boys. Um, the couple times I've gone up there, I've had like utility trucks pull up. And it's so I don't know if there's like work going on or if they just go up there because it's an out of the way parking lot that they can take a break in. I've never gone up to them and asked. I'm not really supposed to be there anyway. So 
yeah it's not like it's completely abandoned it's abandoned as a facility but it's still utilized by the local utility company i'm not 100 percent on that but they're always there in the numerous times i've tried to get in there i've gotten successful twice so back to diamond right so he's escaping from this place November 1991, Diamond is then arrested for armed robbery of a pizza delivery guy. Uh, Diamond and two other men got $200 and three large pizzas, and that was in the article. I did not make that shit up. Score. Yes, they got, I hope it was pizza they liked, because if, like, I robbed a shit, guy and he any had pe- some... Any, free, any three, three pizzas that are free is a win. No, because yes. I... I don't like Supreme. If I steal a Supreme pizza, that's no good to me. I'm not just, eating that shit. Just pick that shit off, man. I don't want to pick at my food before I eat it. What? That's just you. I don't mind picking shit. Okay, so while in jail for robbing the pizza dude... <laughs> pizza uh, dude! Diamond and two other guys... Diamond plus two. <laughs> they rape a 15-year-old boy. Just what... Just what goes with robbing a pizza delivery guy, like mow down three pizzas, rapes on your mind. He's in jail for the robbery at this point. He didn't rob somebody, get the pizza and money, and then go rape somebody. That was like, there's some time in that. That's why I said while in jail for robbing the pizza delivery guy. Mm. So he did that. Then there was a span of time of, I don't know exactly when, but there was why he was in jail. It had to be between November 91 and June 92, because we're getting ready to come to June 92. Oh, that was in June 92. So June 92, <laughs> Diamond was sentenced to six sentences, the longest sentence of 18 years for kidnapping, armed robbery, sodomy, and unlawful use of a weapon. At the time of this article, which was 2004, it states, and I quote again, Diamond Blair is in a state prison in Bon Terre due to be released in 2014. According to a DOC spokesperson, John Fergier, uh, for however you say his name, anyway, uh, he made that quote saying that he was to be released in 2014. His next parole hearing was set for 2008. So, 2006-2008 time frame, I couldn't find an exact release date. So somewhere in there, after serving, I read two different places that he served 16 years, and then I read that he did 18 years. So that would put 2006, 2008. Either way, he's fucking released from prison. So Diamond is out on the streets. He is. And he ain't out long. Because in June 23rd, 24th, it was like the night of the 3rd going into the 24th, uh, 2009, he murdered 22-year-old Montague Ashline outside a Jackson County apartment complex in a robbery attempt. Uh, and the apartment complex, unfortunately, for Diamond, had surveillance cameras. Um, Diamond and two friends wanted to rob a convenience store, uh, and he didn't want to do it in his car, so they, of course, had to go somewhere to steal a car before robbing the convenience store. What a plan. Like, like, remember that time we robbed the pizza dude? Yeah, let's let's do now. Let's go to the sack of suds. 
and rob that place. Who's got a car? Oh, we gotta steal the car. Okay, well, while trying to steal a car from a nearby apartment complex, it started raining, which caused the three men to go into one of the buildings. This is when Ashline pulled up to the building, goes inside the apartment, does what he needs to do or see whoever he needs to see. He's just in there for, it says, several minutes later, Ashline is going back to his car when the three men approach him. At gunpoint, they demand everything he had on him. He claims that he had nothing. In a struggle to get away, Ashline was shot in close range in his chest. The bullet went through him and shot one of Diamond's accomplices in the arm. Right. The police couldn't identify any specifics from the camera footage, but did see one of the men were entered, uh, injured in an altercation, in the altercation. This is when the police started contacting local hospitals and found Paul McDaniel had been seen for a gunshot wound. Uh, the interrogation went nowhere until the fingerprints and some DNA confirmed their suspicions. They still don't have Diamond. They just got Paul McDaniel at this point. Well, July 5th, 2009, police stop a truck matching the description of a truck at another unrelated homicide. <laughs> right. This is like, I have to be so specific just to keep myself straight telling this story. Uh, Diamond was the passenger, and the police recovered a 38 revolver, which just happened to be the gun, that Ashline was shot with. Um, okay, I made a questionable note here. It says Diamond was arrested for felon in possession question mark because they do mention that there. So I don't, I'm guessing that being pulled over, I've had my ID run and then they come back and, you know, give me my ticket and my, my ID back because I've just got a heavy foot. I'm assuming they pull that truck over. They run these guys. Those cops he, have scamads. He's arrested at that time. Well, it's February 2013. He's now 37, and he's found guilty of second-degree murder, robbery, and armed criminal action for the killing of Ashline at the apartments. So... I kept reading that Diamond was serving time at the time of his conviction. I'm piecing together from a Channel 9 2013 February news story. It states Blair had been serving federal time on a felon in possession conviction. I'm guessing the felon in possession is from the July 2009 gun in the truck while he was the passenger incident. So he was i guess arrested because he was a felon maybe he wasn't you know wanted for anything at the time but you can't be a felon in missouri and have a gun or have a gun <laughs> near you um so he is currently serving two life sentences plus 100 years in the jefferson city correctional facility i guess diamonds are forever in jail let's just you know they say diamonds are formed from you know great pressure well guess we're gonna find out uh, he has uh two life sentences and a hundred years to figure out how well he's going to do man if someone kills diamond and he comes back you gotta go to the penitentiary 
<laughs> right. Like, fuck kindergarten. Get your ass back in the penitentiary. You know what you did last time you was here. So, yeah, I make it sound like this this family is, like, massacring everybody they meet. They, him killing this guy just because. It's like River Phoenix's family and Stand By Me. Like, there's just, everyone's a bad fucking apple. And there's some apples that are way worse than other ones. But it's like, is there anyone good in the family? Um, okay, so I'm going to say yes to this one because there are, he is obviously, has nine brothers and sisters. We only discuss some of these brothers and sisters. So there's possible there's a Chris Chambers in there? Yes, there are family members that just, you know, it's like. You think they're like. The, just I think they're mention. living normal lives, going to work, having kids, going to barbecues, shit like that. I think they're just. <laughs> Thanksgiving's they, a little different. They don't want to associate with that side of the family i guess and i wouldn't well now we're going to take another little turn here and we're going to talk about another nephew his name was william blair william blair was born in 1974 1990 1992 at the age of 16 he was sentenced to 15 years for first degree robbery uh he would do time all the way up to 2003 within this is a crazy story. Um, within a month of his release, he was arrested and charged with 88 counts of robbery, assault, armed criminal action, and a series of holdups, including bars, convenience stores, and a karate studio. You gotta have some balls or just a plain lack of intelligence <laughs> to be like, that karate studio, I'm going for it. Um... And he got away from the karate studio. That's a piss poor karate studio. So, um. Nobody kung fu'd his ass before he left. He just took fucking. No, the- he had like guns. And part of the assault is they talk about when he was robbing a couple of the bards that they were pistol whipping people. So, you know. I refuse I'm to- sure he went into the karate studio, guns a blazing. Because he knew if he didn't have guns ablazing, he would have got his ass karate chopped three ways to Sunday. Man, even if even if he, a dude did bring a gun into the fucking Cobra Kai dojo, he wouldn't be leaving there. They're fucking going to be shoved up his ass. Well, um, I had to do a little bit of searching on this one. So I went to the Missouri Department of Corrections criminal search, and he is serving a life sentence. <laughs> I mean, 88 counts. That's a busy fucking life. <laughs> it says within months of his release too, so they within didn't... months. So what, two three months? Even that's still like that's, he's he's doing at least one to two a day. Yeah, he didn't kill anybody though. He just pistol whipped and stole. I think he just ran out of places, and that's why he's like, "How about that karate dojo? We've already hit every convenience store and bar in town." Um. Okay. So this got a little weird for me on this part it's been weird uh the in one of these articles um i found a august 19th 2015 article called terry blair the dead girls and the family of murderers and it makes a mention of an unnamed brother um so we're gonna kind of mesh this but i figured out i think i know who the unnamed brother is Daryl. No, this brings us to Diamond's brother, Terry's nephew, Nola White the Fourth. 
<laughs> I did read, and I couldn't confirm it anywhere, but okay, so Nola Third uh, with Warnetta stabbed that dude to death, and he went to jail for second degree murder. Uh, in one of the articles that I was reading, uh, it was just a caption under a picture of Nola White the Third, and it said that he got a second degree conviction for murder. Later, would go on to be murdered himself. So I don't know if he was murdered, but I'm assuming that information had to come from somewhere. Um, all the other information throughout that article was confirmed by other, you know, just other information and court documents and stuff. But I'm guessing that he was either murdered in prison or he got out after doing time for the second degree murder and then was murdered then. So Warnetta's husband that she divorced to testify against to get herself off a trial would go on to be murdered. I feel Rob Zombie can make a pretty good movie out of these characters. Well, we get to Nola's uh, son, Nola White the Fourth. He was born in 1979. Oh, Never mind, I feel like a fucking idiot because I totally just went into the... I couldn't confirm. I need to go back and edit that out or I'm just going to leave it in because in 2002, Nola White IV pled guilty to killing his father, the third. So, oh my God, <laughs> I didn't even put that together. I There's just so much information and I kept going back and forth with different people. Like I'd work a little bit on Daniel and then I'd go to somebody else and so... I'm sorry, excuse my blonde moment there of, I don't know if he was really murdered, but then he went to jail for murdering him, so... There's a lot of murdering going on here. There is, and I just... Anyway... All these names sound like side characters in the Dukes of Hazzard. So he... Nola White IV pleads guilty to killing his father, the third, in 2001. Uh, it's second degree murder. He shot him in the head in the in his furniture store that he owned at thirty <laughs> first and Troost. In the furniture store. Um, he was sentenced to thirty years, and his next parole hearing is in four years. He he comes up for parole in twenty twenty five. Okay. Mark your calendars. So we're gonna get into the unnamed brother now. Um, okay, so in this article, Terry Blair, the Dead Girls, and the Family of Murderers, uh, when you're scrolling through, shortly after the mugshot of Diamond Blair, they speak of this unnamed brother. Uh, they kind of, the bullet points was, he was a convicted murderer, and no info possibly due to the age at the time of the crime. Only a statement has been made about the unnamed brother. And this is the whole quote. Even before Terry Blair killed those seven women, spoiler, I'm sorry about that, uh, after he killed the seven women, a defense attorney defending Diamond Blair's brother for murder told a courtroom that his client was, quote, born into a family of murderers. So. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, let me just look at this family. Look at him. He didn't have a choice. The quote of the family murders um, is going to be a connecting point because I believe the unknown brother that they speak of in that one article is Diamond. Uh, 
I believe it's Nola White the fourth because in an article in the Kansas City Star from September 2004, it's titled A a Family's History, A Wash in Blood by Lynn Franey and Kevin Hoffman. Metal. There's a section when talking about Nola White the fourth's trial, his public defender, Randall Slagle, was quoted in the Kansas City Star saying his client was, quote, born to a family of murderers. Born to be bad. So that quote right there leads me to believe that Nola is this unnamed brother from this article. Um, I, I could be way off, but it fits the being Diamond's brother, Harry's nephew. <laughs> Diamond is the one-man crime wave. Um, that just based off of that, because I read this article, it's in court documents, and in I don't know why they didn't list the name of the brother, and it wasn't because it was the the age he wasn't a minor; he was like twenty one when he committed the crime, which was the killing of the dad. But anyway, that kind of brings us to the end of Terry Blair's family. We have spoke forty eight minutes of all of these people <laughs> and now we're getting to the gem of this story. So Terry Blair was the case that was proposed to me for this listener request. He is also known as the prospect killer. He was born in September 16th, 1961. Um, he committed his first crime, well convicted of his first crime in 1982 when uh, I heard them refer to Angela as ex-girlfriend and ex-wife. I'm not sure if they were married or what the deal was, but 19-year-old Angela Monroe, ex-girlfriend, ex-wife, and mother of Terry's two children, Terry Blair Jr. and, I believe, Marcel Johnson. Mother! And she's pregnant with the third, was beaten to death by Terry Blair because he was angry that she was prostituting herself. Um, he, uh, yeah, um, he, I guess she had admitted it or he had seen her, but he had become enraged that she was turning tricks while pregnant, kind of a thing. So um, he calls police, and that's kind of another thing is phone calls. Uh, he calls police to confess the murder, uh, and he does. He covers her body up. He was sentenced to 25 years for that for second degree murder. I personally think he should have got double time because she was pregnant. That's personally two lives to me, but that's a whole nother debate. Right. 2003, Terry is released from prison. Um, I found some conflicting information. Some say 2000, some say January 2004. I'm sorry, some say 2003, some say January 2004. So, into uh, 2003, beginning of 2004, he's released from prison. Um, this is when shit gets real crazy. So, in 2003... Sandra Reed is murdered by strangulation. Her body is found in Ju- on June 30th, 2003. 
we're going to fast forward. Of course, you know, police, they just find this body. That's that. They know she's strangled. She's identified as Sandra Reed. Uh, July 14th. 2004, Anna Ewing, 42 years old, found strangled. Uh, she was found at 23rd and Prospect, and she was discovered by a man that was spraying for weeds. Uh, yes, I said she had been strangled. I want to make sure I got that in there. Uh, so they're starting to, the police should, I'm assuming by this point, be establishing the, a connection? Um, by, by, like, actually, we have to show up. In relatively short-ish time frame under the same methods? I kind of uh, glazed over something. So Uh I say Anna Ewing was found strangled. Uh, When they first found her, they listed her as an overdose. Mm -hmm. That will be retracted and listed as strangulation. So I'm sorry for glazing Ah. over that fact, uh, but that doesn't come into play till later. So we have a lot of bodies to cover here. Uh, A couple weeks later, August 2004, Patricia Wilson Butler, 58, last seen August 16th, and Sheila McKenzie, 38, were murdered sometime, uh, you know, around August 16th. Not uh, found. They were just murdered at this point. Um, I have other notes, but I have to skip because the timeline for this is some bodies were found, then some bodies were called in. I'm giving stuff away. Their bodies, I'll just say it, their bodies would be found at 25th and Montgall. Um, not till later, though. September 2nd, 2004, after a call into police about a foul smell from a garage at 25th and Montgall, Patricia and Sheila's bodies are found. So it's like another couple weeks before they're found. Uh, Sheila's body was found on top of Patricia's. Patricia was so decomposed that they ruled it a homicide, but he... uh, uh, I wrote something about the bodies being concealed, but she was so decomposed that they just had to rule it a, a homicide. Um... That call was not from Terry. That was just somebody, I believe, who lived close by. They didn't really go into that. Then, the next day, September 3rd, 2004, an anonymous 911 call told dispatch of the body, Carmen Hunt, located, and the caller said, quote, I put it there. When asked again how he knew the location of the body, he said, because I put the two on 25th and Montgall, and I put that there. Meaning 25th and Montgall was Patricia and Sheila, and that being Carmen. He proceeds to tell police, quote, All the way to the fence, by the alley, buried up under tree branches, it's been there for about two months. Then he tells them she was a prostitute. So we're kind of starting to establish that this killer hates prostitutes. So do you think he's calling and telling the police out of taunting or he wants yes. to be caught? Uh, he is taunting mm. because these phone calls have been made from a um, not activated cell phone. 
However, activated, non-activated cell phone, even in 2004, still had the ability to call 911. Um, that will come into play in some of the defense, I mean, some of the prosecution in this. So, obviously, Terry Blair, because of, you know, Angela Monroe being the mother of his child, being a prostitute, really affecting him and hurting him, and he kills her. He obviously, he will come out that he hates prostitutes and they are scum. So, another day later, on September 4th, 2004, police go out. Carmen Hunt, 40, was found strangled behind an apartment building at 29th and Park. So they've already found the Montgall people. This person confesses to it. They're able to put the 25th and Montgall together with Carmen. So now they've got, you know, like three dead prostitutes at this point. Same day, another anonymous call to police, same voice, same cell number, uh, was calling to report two more bodies. He told them at 24th and Prospect by the U-Haul place covered in black vinyl. This was Darcy Williams, and she had been there for about a week. Same call, he goes on to tell them to go to 27th and Olive, covered in brush and pillows. There's another body. This was Claudette Junel. She had been there for about six weeks. He tells police they were prostitutes and he killed them because they were scum and a disgrace. He then brings up the bodies at 25th and Montgall again, which is Patricia and Sheila, saying he put them there. I guess he really wants them to know about those two. Uh, when asked about more bodies, he told them he put the body at 23rd and Prospect, Anna Ewing, this is when they go back and get Anna Ewing's body out. Holy shit, it wasn't an OD. She was fucking strangled. Now they're just connecting all of these dots. Is this like over a wide area of where these are all found? These, or is this like in a... This is all like, you know, just like a six block radius. Okay, so kind of a concentrated area. Yes, this is all very close to where multiple family members live, where he's kind of been staying, he's been seen a lot. The The last place these women were seen are all in this, like, small concentrated area of the this Prospect neighborhood area. Okay. And, um, okay, so... Let's see, where was I on my notes? So, Darcy Williams and Claudette Junell were both found strangled. Um, and she was... Oh, and Claudette actually still had a shirt tied around her neck when she was found. I, I also got some of this information from the first 48 hours episode that was about this. So now we skip forward to September 10th, 11th, right around then. So we're six days down the road. Uh, Terry Blair's photo was featured in a news story about being a person of interest in the Prospect Corridor murders. He's staying with a friend at this time, and she's got the TV on. She kind of pretends. She plays it fucking cool. She's, like, acting like she didn't see this shit, 
Well, I don't know if Terry saw it, but he ends up a few minutes after the broadcast leaves the house. She gets on the fucking horn right away, calls police. They found him hiding in the garage behind a car. <laughs> of course, he denies every, he denies most everything, including the phone calls, but did admit to recognizing one of the victims. Um, Terry was arrested on a parole violation, which was failing to keep up with contact of his probation officer. Um, at this point, the evidence is kind of overwhelming. Kind of? Um, well, like, the pinning of the phone calls, I mean, that's not 100% putting you, making those I mean, I, I get there's no concrete, but there, I mean, the circumstantial stuff is pretty fucking stacked high. Well, they end up getting some DNA and they have a witness that survived an attack. Oh, shit. So, um, October. Uh, now we skip to September 23rd, same year, 2004. For, uh, Nelia Harris, 33, her body is found. Uh, he is, of course, in police custody, so I'm assuming she had been dead for a while, like the others, and then located. Uh, in October 2000, uh, October 15, 2004, Blair was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder, one count of first-degree assault, and three counts of forcible rape. Uh, during his different proceedings and court hearings and stuff like that, so that puts us about October 2007-ish, Charges in the other two killings are dismissed. Charges against Terry in two other slayings, those being Nelia Harris and Sandra Reed, were dismissed in October. Harris, unlike the other victims, was killed in 2003, being Sandra Reed. Uh, this is, I got this from an NBC News article. So, uh, in court documents that I read in 2008, state that they reached an agreement in which the state would dismiss two of the murder charges, dismiss the assault and forcible rape, and not seek the death penalty. In exchange, Blair agreed to permit admission of a witness statement if she couldn't be there to testify, so he was going to allow her, her given statement to be used against him. Um, let's see... Um, if she couldn't testify at the trial. In March of 2008, he waives his right to a, a trial jury, and that's probably a good thing because they would have threw the book at him, or uh, I would think so. The trial found him guilty of the murders of Sheila McKenzie, Patricia Wilson, Carmen Hunt, Anna Ewing, Darcy Williams, and Claudette Junell. In April 24, 2008, he was finally convicted to six consecutive life sentences with no possibility of parole. Called down the thunder. He got it. So, unfortunately, Sandra Reed and Nelia Harris's murders cannot, they could be pinned on him, but those were dismissed, and unfortunately, those two ladies 
will never really get the justice that the other six got. Um, but I'm glad... They unofficially got it. Right. Unofficially. The, the witness that did testify against him, she unfortunately didn't get the justice she deserved by dismissing the assault and all of that. Um, all but weird court I get, bullshit dealings. When you make a deal... You, I mean, you can kind of... He made the deal of a lifetime. He saved his own neck to, you know, and gave them what they wanted. He did confess to all of this and... But it's going to cost him five additional lifetimes on top of the one that he saved. So I, I'm glad that that woman survived her attack, and I hope she's doing well to this day. Well, she's on the beach. Um, And I'm glad that even though... Some of these people weren't vindicated. In a way, they still are with the conviction of the six life sentences. He will never hurt anybody on the streets again. Yeah, people can rest easier now that he is, you know, sitting behind bars and much of his family is or they're dead. Except for Warnetta. She's she's still just kind of living a quiet life. Hopefully there's just a miscommunication and he's uh, accidentally raped by uh, Diamond the One Man Crime Wave while in jail since they have a history of doing that already. (laughs) On that note, uh, this brings us to the end of the Blair family murderers. Um, It was supposed to just be a case about Terry Blair killing the prostitutes of the Prospect Corridor, but... You couldn't leave it at just that. No. Once <laughs> I, mean, I heard you could, about but you couldn't. Once I heard about oh, fifth family member convicted, I'm like, fifth family member convicted? I gotta find out what's up. Diamond, one man crime wave. So knowing uh now that we know about this whole family, I'm sure I kinda glazed over something or forgot something and sorry for my stammering. I'm just there's there was so much to cover. So many crimes and people getting killed, and yeah, I this, mean, this is a podcast, so this doesn't help at all. But uh, uh, I was shown the notes that uh, was taken for this, and it just is scrolling, 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 scrolling. And I'm like, wow, uh, that's a lot. I really did. I was afraid we weren't gonna have enough time or maybe go over time i i I wasn't sure but we make up our own times here right but i didn't (laughs) want to keep everybody here for an hour and a half listen to me ramble on about this murderous family i mean that's why they are here yeah but after an hour i kind of like to let people go and have their life back i'm the other half of that i'm like i listen to two three six hour podcasts like give that shit to me go for it go for broke well on that note I appreciate you taking your time out of the day to listen to us tell this story, this listener request from Margaret. Great request. Uh, I had, I don't want to say I had a good time doing this, but I had an interesting time researching all of this. Um, You can, I also like to add to every pod that we do, I like to give visual aids, faces to names kind of a thing uh, on my Instagram and Facebook page, which you can find Housewife of Horrors, plural. Don't forget that S. Yes, um, you can find the visual aids there. Uh, 
feel free to like uh, and subscribe to the pod if you want. You have another uh, request already. In the oh, yes. Books, don't you? Next week, we have another listener request. In and two this, weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. I'm sorry. I totally forget about this biweekly thing. That's what I'm here for. If nothing else, to remind you of your schedule. Well, thank you. So, na- two weeks from now, uh, Tiffany, one of our new listeners, uh, threw in a request. Uh, I'm not going to go into any one of this, but it's a lot of dead people in this one, too. And I'm super excited to jump into this. And it's not a local case. And it takes place in Louisiana. That's all I'm going to go into. So in two weeks, return for another listener request from Tiffany. And once again, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And Evil, you want to give your little spiel? I was going to just say, I was like, is that all? Is that where you would... Uh... Hit you up if you have your own request you would like to submit for a case for you to do is through your uh, social oh, medias there. Yeah, message me on my Facebook, my Instagram. Uh, if you know me personally, you can text me, whatever. But uh, yeah, I am always down for a listener request. After this one listener request, we're going to go back to just some of my ideas unless I get another listener request, and then we'll do that one as well. Hmm. Uh, can't wait to hear what goes on in the, the state of Louisiana. But yes, I'm Evil from 3B Video. You can, of course, find all my bullshits on the YouTube at 3B Video. Or if you're in the podcasting uh, mode, we also do that as well. Talking cinemas. So look up 3B Video Deep Cut Podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. And as of this recording, it's about a week and change out from uh, when we dropped our movie trailer for Tapehead, which... I uh, unfortunately star in, and uh, the host of uh, Housewife of Horrors was doing some behind-the-scenes work on. I was just an extra set of hands, and I did some, I did some stills, and I did uh, some behind-the-scenes footage, kind of a uh, making of. Which, uh, yeah, you can scope out that trailer. We hope to have physical copies out by Halloween, and you'll get through here. Housewife of Horrors doing her behind-the-scenes uh, interview questions on that DVD, Blu-ray, VHS, whatever you buy it on. But uh, VHS. Buy it. Yeah, we're dropping VHS as well. Oh God. Oh God, yes. Thank you for your time once again, and like the late great Robert Stack always used to say, for every unsolved mystery, there's somewhere, someone somewhere out there who knows something perhaps it's you Whee.